Good afternoon everybody and welcome to Transcending Together with Julianne and Lee. Good afternoon, beautiful and amazing human beings. Welcome to those of you who have just joined us and those who have stayed on from my last show. Thank you very much for joining. It's a hello from me. And it's a hello from Lee. Awesome stuff. So I was just chatting about on my previous show about a difficult weekend that I had, which started off really badly and ended up actually in a really good place. And so it did give us something to think about. I think Lee and I last week, we were talking about some of the mental health challenges that trans people face. And obviously, sport is a big part of the mental health benefits. And in a certain way, I think trans women and trans girls have been hit with a double whammy because on the one hand, we know statistically that trans people are at greatest risk from self-harm and even suicide. And we also know that sports is a great thing to uplift and help people feel more positive about themselves. And I don't know if there's anything you want to chat about that, Lee, before we to dive in a little bit more. Just to reiterate the positive aspects of physical activity, and when our bodies are subject to physical activity, it releases a cocktail of chemicals. Amongst these are your dopamine and endorphin, which are neurotransmitters which help to uh, regulate mood and emotional well-being. And dopamine is often called the, the feel-good neurotransmitter, and it's associated with pleasure and reward and motivation and things like that. And sport plays a vital role in this because every goal that is scored and every race that is completed and even the simple act of just running can trigger the release of these neurotransmitters leading to feelings of accomplishment and happiness. And now on the other hand, endorphins are like our natural painkillers in our body and they help to alleviate the sensation of pain and it also triggers a positive feeling in the body. So those are two very good reasons why we should be doing exercises and participating in, in things like sports. They help to combat stress and reduce feelings of anxiety and even elevate our mood and promote a sense of overall well-being. Yeah, so it's a definite double whammy then, isn't it? If you're feeling down and then you're told you're not allowed to participate in absolutely anything at all from a yeah. sporting point of view. And there was talk last week about banning trans women from chess, chess. for God's sake. Chess. If you can believe it. And, you know, a lot of us, we, if you go on the Twitters and the various social platforms, people are laughing about it. But at the end of the day, it's just another reminder of the extent to which trans women are just not accepted in sporting society. And we have to be able to do more about this. There has to be something we can do. I've been at odds with some of my allies in the trans community about a plan which I have, but I feel that we've actually got to do something because we can't do nothing. And that is why I decided over the weekend, I think this was a big part of where my mental health was struggling. So as many of you know, I used to play rugby. And as we talked about last week, I went to Berlin and was able to close out my career. And it gave me a lot of closure and big shout out again to all the teams that were there in Berlin. And it really got me thinking about how we do go about addressing this particular problem. Because obviously, I am going to continue to fight the RFU. That is one aspect, but that's the court of law. And there is also the court of public opinion. 
And I feel it's really crucial that we address in the court of public opinion the perception that we as trans women are a threat on the sports field over and above what we feel we really are. And legal challenges, and Lee and I discussed this a few weeks ago around some of the legal challenges that we face as a community to try and bring cases before the Equality Court, because it obviously costs a lot of money and the burden of proof to a large extent actually sits with the victim, which is quite iniquitous really. And we are often up against large institutions with deep pockets who are willing to continue to spend money. And we are up against a virulent right wing who get a lot of money and a lot of airtime from the Christian fundamentalists and CPAC in the US. So the problem is the people we're up against, the institutions and the people in the public sphere, people like Kathleen Stock, who we've talked about before, Kelly Jean, Jay Keen, JK Rowling. These people have massive platforms and we just can't seem to break through. And we do have allies and we do have people that are ready to stand with us. But it's really difficult to get the message up to a point where we can get the kind of coverage that they get. So it is an uphill battle. So both the court of law and the court of public opinion is a very difficult battle to face. But the question is, do we do nothing? And this is where I've decided to do something. And if you recall, I think I shared previously my impassioned plea that I made at the Brianna Gay vigil that was held in Brighton. And for the benefit of your reminder, I'm going to slot that in here so you can have a listen to that. There's, there's a Lincoln Park song, uh, One More Light. Yes. And it came onto my playlist as I was reading the story about Brianna. And part of it is like, who cares if one more light goes out? And he ends the, the chorus with, well, I do, and I do, and I'm angry, and I'm fed up, and it might sound not correct to say we are all, we are all at fault, but we haven't done enough. People my age, we have come out on the shoulders of those who came before us and have given us our rights. They have given us our ability to transition into society and be accepted. So what are we gonna do now? Do we wanna be the shoulders for those who come after us? What have we done for 16 year old people like Brianna? We haven't done enough and I'm angry and I should be, and you're angry, and you should be, because it's enough. I've had enough. I've had enough of the LGB alliance. Yes. 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 And the gender criticals. Tufts. Tufts. Fucked up. Fucked up. But what are we gonna do? Are we gonna sit on our keyboards? What are we going to do? Because I've had enough. But I've had enough. It's enough. And whatever 
they find or claim to have found as to why this wonderful, glorious, angelic, beautiful 16-year-old. I have a 17-year-old child. I cannot even begin to express how devastated I would have been to have lost that child. Regardless of how they identify, regard, regardless of anything. So what are we going to do? We need to do something. Because it is enough. I've had enough. I am fed up. And I ask every single one of you to get off your keyboards and do something meaningful. Because we cannot let this stand. Thank you. So I apologize for the colorful language there, but obviously emotions were running quite high. Mind you, no, actually, I don't apologize. I think that language was appropriate. Right, so that's what I said then. And my plea to everybody was, we have to do something, whatever that something is. And so this is the something which I have decided to do. And that is, I have decided to form the first trans women's rugby team what do you think about that that's quite exciting yeah and how, how, how are your plans going on that tell us more it's been 72 hours so i think the nice one of the things that's exciting about it is obviously truck united fc is an a fully inclusive football team and truck have talked previously or lucy clark has talked about her desire to create a rugby team and I think that this is a great opportunity to create two teams so it's not working against each other and I think certainly to a large extent the footprint that we would draw from in order to create these teams is much broader and doesn't really step on each other's toes and I think that's a good thing because not only can we set about for our own purposes putting a team together but we will have a baked-in opposition. So, yeah, I'm hoping that Truck will come along on the journey as well in terms of what they're doing with Truck Barbarians. And it is a very complicated thing, though. So just to bring everybody up to speed with what I've been doing, early in the summer, if you could call it a summer, early in the summer, I had reached out to a local Brighton IGR, who are International Gay Rugby, to see if I could set up a team within their structure. And one of the things that was most disappointing about this was with a lot of these things, I, I'm a very firm believer and my mantra through all of this, and I think it's probably going to be my club's motto, is if you build it, they will come. And from that awesome movie, Field of Dreams. And what I kept trying to say to these teams was, Let's just announce that we're going to do it. We don't necessarily know everything we need to do to make it happen, but we have to start by saying we're going to do it. And then other people will hopefully have the opportunity to come and say, well, have you thought about this? And what about that? And those are all good things. Those are all absolutely good things because I'm certain I haven't thought about everything, but I am certain that we need to just say we're going to do it. And someone said to me many, many years ago that you've got to throw out your old clothes before you buy new clothes because you've got to create the space for the new clothes to exist in. And in a way, this is kind of doing that. It's saying to the universe, 
this is what's going to happen. And I think Lee, you've probably, sorry, Lee's dogs just went absolutely mental. So I'm going to come back to Lee again. <laughs> Lee, you probably got something to say about that in terms of your, the, the what do you call it, your psychological approach. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think at least from, from one perspective, you're providing the opportunity for participation in the sports and along with that all, all all the good stuff that I mentioned before and it also provides a sense of community and it represents hope doesn't it and I think this initiative could shift the narrative from one of exclusion to one of celebration so perhaps instead of focusing on bans and restriction the spotlight could be more on sort of like achievements and things like that challenges and unique journeys of trans women so I think it's it's a positive thing yeah and there's another really great quote that has been on my mind and it says you never change things by fighting the existing reality to change something build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete and that is also i guess maybe that's my founding statement <laughs> so i've got my i've got my motto and i've got my founding statement so that's a good start don't you think <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that the success stories from such a team could serve as a powerful counter-narrative, challenging the stereotypes and, and the prejudices against trans individuals. So, yeah, you know, both inside and outside the, the sporting arena. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you right after the break how I'm going to make it inclusive. So we're going to go to a quick break and we'll be back right after these messages. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Many website owners don't like their website hosting company or support provider, but are too scared to move to someone else in case they lose their site or it affects their business. Based in Telford at Purple Prince Media, we will move your website to us free of charge with the best support possible. And if you're looking to start up a business, we're also here to design and build your website from the ground up with unbeatable prices on web hosting and dedicated servers. We're also certified Magento developers, which is the world's biggest e-commerce platform. So rest assured, your online business is just a click away. Drop us an email on hello at purpleprints.co.uk or visit purpleprints.co.uk to get started. Purple Prince Media, the local website company. Ever thought about having your own radio show? Well, now you can, as we're looking for presenters to join our team. No experience is needed and minimal equipment required. For more information, email info at transradiouk.com. Transradio UK. Tune in via DAB in Ireland. Download our app via your smart speaker or online at transradiouk.com. Malcolm here. Don't go anywhere as we bring you some more trucking, great music and jazz here on Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. I hope over the break you had an opportunity to digest what I was saying. Lee asked me in the break, do I plan to play? <laughs> yeah, are you going to play? I don't think I'm going to play. I... I had said to myself, and we talked about this last week, where I said, 
I had set myself the goal of playing two seasons and because I got the opportunity to play last weekend, uh, a couple of weekends ago, I technically played this season. So I've done my two seasons and then I committed to myself that I wanted to go into coaching. So very much, I think that is the direction which I plan to take. But now obviously I'll be coach slash manager as well, trying to put this team together. So, yeah, I don't think I'll necessarily play. I think I think for me, certainly, that that ship has sailed now and it's time to hang up my boots. Well, from playing anyway, I'll still need to yeah. wear them around the rugby field. But yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the big questions is, so how do you make this inclusive? And I was quite interestingly on the flight over to Berlin. I was ruminating on these various different things. And one of the things that occurred to me looking through and just reading the participation guidelines of the RFU. And so under the RFU's gender participation policy, which is the policy that I'm actually fighting in court, they state, so this is to be technical, this is section 4E, and it is the adult male category. Now, people get quite animated about that. And my critics from within the community have said to me, if you do this, you are admitting that we are adult males. And my answer to that is that if you look at their definition of the category, it says players are permitted to play in this category if the player's sex recorded at birth is male. So think about that for a minute. That is every trans woman. That is part of our identity. That is part of who we are. And as much as we can change our birth certificates, and goodness knows we've had enough conversations about birth certificates and gender yeah. markers over the last few weeks. But the reality is that as things currently stand, we our sex recorded at birth is male. And anyone born now will have their sex recorded as male if they happen to have that particular genitalia. So it is what it is. And we are that. And I own that. I own the fact that I am a trans woman. It is a journey that I've been on and my journey is unique to me. And it is a lived experience that I think only a trans woman can ever understand. So I don't necessarily take a negative view to the fact that my sex assigned at birth was male. It was, it is, it's just a fact. And it is a fundamental part of my identity as a trans woman. What do you think, Lee? Yeah, I mean, uh, linking back to our previous conversations about the markers on our birth certificates and, and, and things like that, and, you know, you, you cannot change that. I mean, you, you can to a certain degree, but the fact of the matter is that you were assigned male at birth. You can't go back and undo that. You can change what you, you currently express as your identity as. And, you know, the thing is, like, I think the key thing that you said was that you own this and this is unique to you and your journey. So, you know, good, good for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is that's something that that did occur to me very much around that. And you can't you can change your birth certificate. But that moment in time, you will have always been recorded sex male at birth and We've got a mutual friend who was pregnant and has now had her baby. So congratulations to her. And he he is assigned male for now. I saw a wonderful thing on Facebook today, which was I it, it's a 
mother to a baby and the mother is saying to the baby, I have given you a name because you don't have a voice. But when you are old enough and you have a voice, you can choose the name that you most desire. And I think that's so important. You know, this idea that, yes, we put a lot into our children's names because they tend to reflect other members of the family, perhaps part of our journey, or respect to our mutual friend because she has tried and is still trying <laughs> to yeah. name for the child that is gender neutral so that hopefully the child can feel comfortable if it chooses to change its particular direction in life. So full credit to them. But at the end of the day, why can't we choose our own names later on in life? I mean, movie stars do it all the time, don't they? So, so yeah, I think what's in a name, you know, it's, yes, mm. I think your birth name is the name that, that mattered to your parents. It's not necessarily a name that matters to you. I chose to keep a variation of my dead name because I related when my father told me why he had named me what he had. I felt a resonance with that particular name. So that's why I opted to choose a name that was derivative or related to my dead name. But equally, some people just want to get as far away from that as possible. And that's also okay. I do regret spelling my name the way I did. An opportunity to do it differently. And as you know, my name is Julianne, and I chose to put a hyphen in there, and that just confuses the hell out of everybody. So whenever anyone ever asks my email address, I say to them, "Look, I'll just write it down. We'll go from there." So yeah, I should have I should have thought about that. Didn't really think about it at the time. So yeah, so that is that is the category under which this team will be convened. So. I'm not saying it's a male team. I'm saying the team is convened under the RFU's gender participation policy for E, which is for players whose sex recorded at birth is male. Now, the interesting thing about this category is it goes on to say, if a player's sex recorded at birth is female and the player identifies as transgender, non-binary or gender fluid, that player may play if... Point one, the player provides their written consent to the club by completing this consent form, which is a fairly innocuous form. An appropriate risk assessment is carried out by the club, which the player is representing in the form prescribed by the RFU. Now, interestingly, that's also an area which we are challenging under the legal challenge. But the risk assessment is carried out by the club, not by the RFU. Section 4 says the RFU is notified prior to the player participating in contact rugby activity. So what's interesting with that particular form is it's a notification. It's not a request for permission. And Section 4 is the player has obtained a therapeutic use exception if required by the RFU. So that's to do with trans men who have started their testosterone journey. So that is just another form that needs to be filled out. But there is nothing in this regulation which says that if all four criteria are not met, are met, sorry, that a female player can't play with my team. So, and this was the thing where I, I turned it, I realized I was looking at it the wrong way. Because on the one hand, I was trying to figure out a way to allow trans women to play on a women's rugby team. 
And then I turned that on its head and came up with this idea that, well, women can play in a men's team, in inverted commas, quote-unquote men's team, provided they meet those four criteria. So if I register a team under that criteria, then cisgendered women can actually play for a trans women's team, even though trans women can't play for uh, a cisgendered women's team. Now, the interesting thing is, and this is something to ponder on, is they say that, just to say this again, if the player's sex recorded at birth is female, and the player identifies as transgender, non-binary, or gender fluid. So what if your sex recorded at birth is female, but you're not transgender, non-binary, or gender fluid? Does this mean then that cis-heterosexual female players are not allowed to play? So I, I, that, that's, that's one area which I find a little bit ironic, because under these guidelines, cis-heterosexual sex female at birth will be excluded <laughs> well what about me if i was a bit younger and more able i'm cisgender but i'm not heterosexual would i be allowed to play on your team well apparently not because you're not transgender non-binary binary or gender fluid so i wouldn't be allowed to play on your team no you wouldn't and the big question is what is the difference then between you and a non-binary or gender fluid assigned female at birth physiologically what is yeah. the difference? Can I just say I'm I'm gender fluid? Do I have to prove that I am? I mean, I want to play on, if I was younger and I wanted to play on your team. I guess potentially you could just say, yes, I'm I'm non-binary. There we go. Yeah. Ka-ching. But this is part of the stupidity of this particular participation policy is they haven't thought things like this through mm. because they've approached it from a misogynistic perspective. They haven't actually thought through or consulted with cisgendered females either in terms of putting this particular thing together because you're quite right i mean why shouldn't a heterosexual woman be permitted to play if a non-binary or gender fluid one can yeah. transgender is obviously different because they will be taking testosterone so they will be in a slightly different category non-binary or gender fluid if you're not on testosterone what is the difference between you and a cisgendered heterosexual female? I don't know. Maybe we should go to a break and have a think about that. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we'll be back right after this. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Are you trans and non-binary and feel like drugs or alcohol are impacting your life negatively? Why not check out Trans Sober? We're a grassroots peer support group for the community, by the community. Find us at www.transover.org and join us online or come to one of our weekly drop-ins. We also offer other useful resources. Trans Radio UK, a global radio station the whole LGBTQ plus community can be proud of. Did you know you can advertise with us for less than a pound a day? Call 0207 856 0584 or email sales at transradiouk.com. Win £25,000 and help truck listens at the same time. Enter the Rainbow Lottery and click Truck Listens as your chosen organisation. And not only can you win £25,000, 50p of every ticket purchased will go to Truck Listens. Please see www.transradiouk.com and click Win £25,000 for more details. 
Trans Radio UK is on. Right now. Across the UK and beyond. Now. Now. More of the music you love. Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. I hope you've had an opportunity to digest the conversation so far. Lee had a question for me in the break, and I suggested she ask me now. So what I want to know, Julie, is what do you say to those people out there that have got this mentality that we don't want men in women's sport and blah, 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 and you should just go out and and play your own sports, you know, Um, have transgender categories in athletics and rugby and whatever. Isn't what you're trying to do by establishing a non-exclusionary rugby team, isn't that just appeasing the masses with that kind of mentality? Just go out and and have your own category. Yeah, and that's a really good question. And it's certainly one that I've been particularly sensitive to because I want to be absolutely clear, this is not a capitulation or an acceptance of the RFU's approach or of the gender critical's approach to this. The first thing is, realistically, we have to understand that as things currently stand, it's going to take a long time to get this legal challenge to the courts. And when I win, it's going to be appealed. So we are many years out from a solution, a legal solution to this problem. And in the meantime, young trans females are being excluded from playing sport. So what do we do? And this comes back to what I said in the intro. What do we do for them now? What We have to do something for them. We have to give young people the opportunity to play sport. And this is a way to do that Firstly. Secondly, what it will demonstrate is that there is no threat for trans women to play rugby with cisgendered women. And that is the sort of key message which I'm hoping to prove with this. And then the third thing is that all of the gender participation policies across all the different sports governing bodies have said when new evidence becomes available, they will review these particular decisions. Now, it's been a year since the RFU banned trans women and the Irish Football Union and Welsh and Scottish banned trans women from participating. In that year, some of the research has matured, and there is one particular piece of research which I found particularly interesting, and I'm just going to have a quick rummage for that. Hold for a moment while I find it. Right, here it is. So, one of the cornerstone research articles that was that is oft quoted by the various sports participating bodies was a piece of research that's called Cardiopulmonary Capacity and Muscle Strength in Transgender Women on Long-Term Gender-Affirming Hormone Therapy, a cross-sectional study. And there's a whole bunch of people with their names attached to this particular study, and it was a region originally produced sometime back in 2022. And so that is often relied upon. And what has happened since then, and this is where we come back to this point around if new evidence should present itself, then they will revisit. Now, this has presented itself and nobody seems to be talking about it, despite the fact that it actually undoes. So to, to put it in, in context, so they published a bunch of corrections. They published 10 corrections, substantial corrections to this particular piece of research. 
And I'm actually working on a piece which I'll put on the Substack, which is tigergirl.substack.com, where I basically so you, you don't <laughs> so you don't have to read all 23 pages. Hopefully, it will bring it to the fore for you. But to give you an idea of some of the things that they changed, one of the things, and this for me is the most substantial, is they had originally concluded that, and to quote. These findings could inform policy and help in decisions about the participation of transgender women in sporting activities. So the gender criticals and the people who are fighting against us on this, this is what they go to. They say, there, you see, they're saying this proves that this information should be used to to inform decision-making. Now, how's this for a correction? This is how they corrected it after making the other nine corrections. They said, this study was in (laughs) non-athletes and findings may not apply to policy decisions about the participation of transgender women in sporting activities. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it just beggars belief, doesn't it? Why why do a study on something that could potentially have policy-making decisions on people who are non-athletes in in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think that's an important thing, was when they originally talked about their method for doing the study, they said this, the abstract, under what they call the abstract methods, they said a cross-sectional study was carried out with 15 trans women, 15 cisgender men, and 14 cisgender women. They then corrected that to state a cross-sectional study was carried out with 15 non-athlete transgender women, 14 cisgender men, and 13 transgender women. So it's a fundamental, what they call in research, you've got the research cohort. So the fact that these were non-athletes means they should have immediately been excluded from the research. Absolutely, yeah. So that was quite interesting. So they also then said... They had a statement in the results, so abstract results, which said, and this is going to be very technical, but but bear with me. It said the VO2 peak fat-free mass was 47.3 in trans women, 53.3 in cisgendered women, and 52 in cisgendered men. So that's talking. So that's one of the things that we are often challenged on is they say you retain having passed through male puberty you retain this vo2 peak fat-free mass which is supposed to speak to athletic performance but just to unpack that for starters so, so they left it at that right but even when you look at that and you compare the vo2 peak fat-free mass it was 47 for trans women and 53 for cisgendered women. So that actually shows that cisgendered women have a better VO2 peak performance than trans women. So trans women are actually at a disadvantage. And they go on to say, so in the correction, what they've corrected is they've said, they've put a conclusion to this particular point, which is, however, adjusted for fat-free mass, there was no difference between trans women and cisgendered women. No difference. So that's strike two. Um, They then go on to say that this next one that they're talking about, and this is the abstract conclusion. So CPC 
in non-athlete women, sorry, CPC, so cardiopulmonary capacity, that's what CPC stands for, so cardiopulmonary capacity. To be clear, this is what we are accused of retaining, is cardiopulmonary capacity because we pass through male puberty. So they're saying here, CPC in non-athlete trans women showed an intermediate pattern between cisgendered women and cisgendered men. So just to give you an idea of how that actually, what they corrected is they then said absolute CPC in non-athlete trans women showed an intermediate pattern that in to that in cisgendered women and cisgender men. And then they add, however, relative CPC adjusted for fat-free mass showed, and I'm going to emphasize this, showed no difference between trans women and cisgendered women or cisgendered men. Strike three, four, which strike are we on now? <laughs> three, I think. <laughs> and what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's just bizarre, what, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, their whole, the whole, the, the point is that the entire basis of this research was to prove that trans women retain benefit and basically their corrections turn that entirely on its head. And then in the last sentence, in the abstract conclusion, they had originally said the mean strength and VO2 peak in non-athlete trans women while performing physical exertion were higher than those in non-athlete cisgendered women and lower than those in cisgendered men. So that was their original conclusion. So what they're saying is that trans women outperform cisgendered women but underperform cisgendered men. So everybody sort of got hold of that and said, yes, well, yes, we accept that you, you're not as, your performance isn't as great as if you were still a cisgendered man. However, it's greater than a cisgendered woman. So how did they correct this thing? This is the correction. Similarly, the mean strength in non-athlete trans women was higher than those in non-athlete cisgendered women, but not when adjusted for fat-free mass. Now, what this means, and I did need to have a chat to one of my sports physiologists, what did that actually mean? And what she said to me, the way she explained it, is she said that although when you measure it in a, in a moment, trans women did have a higher mean strength, when you adjust it for fat-free mass, so that's your body, your lean muscle mass, and your bone, and all the rest of it, it's saying that when you adjust for fat-free mass, there is no difference between trans women and cisgendered women. And the way this was explained to me was they said, yes, to a certain extent, you do retain your muscle mass and bone density that you had as a consequence of going through male puberty. However, because trans women tend to have a much higher fat mass as a consequence of transition because of the HRT, what you effectively end up in a situation is your body has to work harder. As a trans woman, you have to work harder to move your body around, say, a rugby field. So it's going to be more tiring for you. So yes, if you measure it as just a moment, like let's say you're doing weightlifting and you do a bicep curl, you might retain a certain amount of mean strength. However, after 20 minutes running around a rugby field, you are going to, as a trans woman, become exhausted faster than a cisgendered woman. 
And that's where it's relevant from a rugby point of view. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's quite interesting because, you know, the the, the whole sort of like issue from um, the other side, as it were, is that if you've gone through male puberty, you re- you retrain, you retain that strength in particular. And this is like saying, no, but actually, you know, if you define, if you define the quantity of time correctly, you're saying that it gives you no advantage over a cisgender woman. And I think that's quite important because, you know, the, the strength or the retained strength because you've gone through male puberty with all those male hormones, that gives you an unfair advantage, which is what they've based the whole scenario on on, on banning of trans women in particularly rugby. So the last section in this, which which is called What the Study Adds, and one of the things that they, one of their conclusions is they said, These are the first scientific data on the cardiopulmonary capacity of trans women. The mean VO2 peak performance of non-athlete transgender women while performing physical exertion was higher than that of non-athlete cisgendered women and lower than that of cisgendered men. So that's what we were talking about previously, that just as a baseline, trans women were higher than cisgender women, but lower than cisgendered men. The correction says these are the first scientific data on cardiopulmonary capacity of trans women undergoing long-term gender-affirming hormone therapy. So that already adjusts the cohort. They then go on to add the absolute mean VO2 peak of non-athlete transgender women while performing physical exertion was higher than that of non-athlete cisgendered women and lower than that of cisgendered men, but there were no differences in relative VO peak mass when adjusted for fat-free mass. So that reasserts the point which I was making around the abstract conclusion. And then, as I said, they they finalize, they come, the ultimate thing, they completely turn around what the findings actually talk about. And it says, these findings could inform policy and help in decisions about the participation of transgender women in sporting activities, They retract that and they say this study was in non-athletes and findings may not apply to policy decisions about the participation of trans women in sporting activities. And this is one of the things which as a community we've been pushing and pushing and pushing and saying none of these studies involve athletic trans women or athletic cisgendered women. There needs to be studies which actually look at how does a trans woman perform, an, an athletic trans woman perform against an athletic cisgendered woman. So the fact that these were non-athletic is why they eventually had to ultimately reverse their finding and reverse the entire thrust of the entire article. And there's a bit of research which I'm going to do on this is just to see how many other papers have relied upon the findings of this paper because a lot of the other research that, that the sports governing bodies have depended upon have related to literature reviews. In other words, secondary research, not primary research. So it's research where they've researched other people's research and drawn conclusions on the basis of that. Whereas this was an actual clinical study, even though the cohort had absolutely nothing to do with athletes. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to 
jump off to a quick break and we'll be back right after these messages. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. If you're transgender, feeling lonely and don't think there's any help available, well, now Trans Radio UK have Truck Listens, a confidential phone service just for you on 0800 009-6640. Talk for some time and you're feeling good. It's gone so much better than you thought it would. And you're really glad you went and made that phone call. Go on, make that call. It's a small price. To talk to someone who's both sympathetic and empathetic, call Truck Listens. 0800 009 6640. Truck Listen, 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 listen. Did you know we receive no funding here at Trans Radio UK? To keep us on air and growing, we rely on donations. To donate, please head to www.transradiouk.com and click the link. A regular payment of £20 will see you become a partner of Truck. Other options are available. Email info at transradiouk.com for details. A big thank you from all the team here at Trans Radio UK. The world's largest radio station for the trans community. Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. Uh, What were you saying there, Lee, in the break? So I was looking at that particular study in a similar light to the, the study that was done on the effects of HRT and in terms of causing, in particular, breast cancer. And I think the study was done in like the late 1990s, early 2000s. And further research has now completely debunked that original paper. And that original paper was, you know, the basis for other papers that had been written around it, the, the peer reviews. And one of the significant things was that the cohort of people that they, or of women that they examined in this research paper, they were significantly older and had a significantly higher risk of cancers, particularly breast cancers, because they were that much older. So they were like in their 70s and 80s, whereas the women that were, you know, you start going on HRT, sort of like mid 40s, early 50s. And yeah, they completely debunked that. And for years, women have had to suffer because of, you know, this taboo surrounding HRT based on this this one paper. And I'm sure we could sit here if we had the time, we could think of other papers, research that has set policy or, you know, informed public opinions, only to find that years later, everything is debunked, similar to this this paper that you're citing here. Yeah, that's the thing. That's always the danger with secondary research because it allows people to make draw conclusions and inferences from other papers based on whatever it is they're trying to prove. But my thing is with clinical studies, they are absolute. They did measure these people. The other thing which was interesting is they, in this particular paper, there were 
people in the cohort who ought to have been excluded from the study because they were outside of the study range. So one of the things that they were talking about was they measured the testosterone levels in the so-called transgender women. And some of the cohort, and, and bear in mind, there was only 15 of them, right? I think that's what I said. There were at least three of them where their testosterone level was still at male levels. So the question about whether they were actually undergoing hormone therapy makes you wonder because certainly under the the NHS target range, my testosterone level is zero or 0.1, which is trace. So they should have excluded. So the definition, the clinical definition of a trans woman undergoing HRT, cross-hormonal therapy to testosterone and about 400 to 500 on the estrogen. And that's what they aim to put you in. So to be classified as a trans woman undergoing uh, cross-hormonal therapy, they should have excluded those participants where the testosterone level was clearly still at pre-hormonal therapy levels. So it's not someone who's just said, well, I'm a trans woman, so therefore... And I think there is something to be said for that. And we have, as a trans sporting community, we've been quite clear on the fact that, yes, we don't believe you should just be able to self-identify from, from a sports point of view and say, oh, I'm a woman now, so I demand to play with women. No, they do need to be, as in any sport, there, there does need to be a certain physiological assessment done on a particular athlete. But those are done the thing is, as trans women, we are we have our blood measured regularly. We can be reported on, and if our testosterone level climbs too high, then we can be excluded from playing, just like any sports person. If it appears that, that they're doping or they are giving themselves a physiological advantage through various different therapies, they are excluded. So it is a complex matter, but it is something that clearly required more thought than what these sports governing bodies have put into it. So I think from that point of view, it's quite relevant. And you were saying as well, Lee, something around the historical discrimination in South Africa around sports. What was that again? Yeah, I mean, if you kind of have a look at it and draw parallels between apartheid era South Africa, where non-white South Africans were deprived of their rights, they were marginalised and they were segregated. And in the realms of sport, this translated to a harsh exclusion of non-white athletes from national teams and even international competition. You know, and they, these people were barred purely on the colour of their skin from representing their own country. and. I think the injustice from that can be a very good lesson for the situation that we find ourselves in now with the banning of, of trans women is what lessons can we learn from historical things? You know, and I was just mentioning in, in the break, you know, the Rugby World Cup is about to kick off. And for the second World Cup in a row, South Africa has a black man who is the captain of the rugby team, you know. And 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that that wouldn't have even been like a possibility to dream up. So hopefully there's there's a, a lesson to be learned there and some inspiration. Yeah, we could go into all kinds of conspiracy theories, I guess, to a certain extent as to why they wanted black people excluded from rugby in the first place. I have a view on that, but it is a conspiracy theory view, tinfoil hat view, insofar as 
I do believe that the players of color in rugby have an inherent physiological advantage and they were, I'll just say it, I think the South Africans were afraid (laughs) to play against the people of color because they knew they couldn't compete. And yeah, you look at Sierlosi, Beastum, Tawarira. I mean, there have been some phenomenal rugby players of colour. And even amongst Jonah the England Lomu. side. Jonah yeah, Lomu. you've got Jonah Lomu. And then even on the diminutive side, little Georgie Gregan, who used to yeah. play for Australia. <laughs> These guys, they are phenomenal rugby players. Anyway, yeah, so I thought it would be important to share that research as well that's come out, not even that recently, but I was pointed to this by um, a friend of mine who suggested I have a look at the corrections because, yeah, I mean, the corrections just undo a lot of what they've actually said there. And um, so so that fight, what do they say in Latin? A luta continua, which is the fight continues. We will continue to fight this in the court of law, but we also need to start pushing back and fighting this in the court of public opinion. And I think the best way to do that is show me, don't tell me. And that's why I felt it was important to create this rugby team. I hope others will follow and we'll create more of these teams just so that we can give trans youth an opportunity to actually play some sport until we can get all of this undone and fixed legislatively. So yeah, that's kind of where I am on that. So anyone out there who's listening, if you are a trans woman or you are assigned female at birth, but you are non-binary, gender fluid, or transgender, please reach out to me via my Substack, and we can have a chat and see how we actually move this forward. The team will be based in Brighton, thereabouts, and yeah, hopefully I'll be hearing from more of you going forwards. And heterosexual women are welcome to apply, but you'll just have to pretend to be non-binary or gender (laughs) fluid. Any last thoughts, Lee? Yeah, it's crazy. I I think I think this is immense that you're doing, Julie. And as we were talking about at the beginning, the sort of like positive mental health aspects to playing on a team. And I think in particular, you're giving that to transgender, trans, transgender, non-binary youth, giving them the opportunity to play sport. It's it's a bit late for old old women like us, but it's the youth that that's where you can make the significant difference is by giving them that opportunity to belong. Yeah, and we don't want a whole lost generation. I mean, we already lost a generation to COVID, so we don't want to lose a whole generation of potentially really good athletes who are just being denied the opportunity to participate, even when it comes to angling and chess. Yes. So, <laughs> so I will leave it there. Please stick around after the break for Miss Glorious and Orthodox Jukebox. We'll be bringing us some more tunes. I hope you've enjoyed this chat. And don't forget to reach out to us on tigergirl.substack.com. And with that, it's a goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Lee. Thank you very much. In love and light. Bye. Oh, I get by
Hey, this is Pink. Trans Radio UK. Did you know we have an active and fun chat room? Come and join presenters and other listeners at transradiouk.com. Truck United FC, our award-winning football team. Catch all the latest action at www.truckunitedfc.com. Bringing you the best music, the latest news, and the best chat shows across the globe. Trans Radio UK. Trans Radio UK, here for the community. 24 hours a day.